the clock strikes newsbang. Castro-crowned Cuban commander commences countless years. Hezbollah's handbook, manifesto or manifesto. And French government tunes up A4, strikes a note of unity. Plus, in a shocking turn of events, a mime has been arrested for speaking during a performance. The charges are unspeakable. That's the way the news crumbles. Remember, when the facts fall, we catch them with a net made of lies. News bang, a thunderbolt of truth striking the target of deceit. Nuit Dern, 1959. In a dramatic turn of events, Fidel Castro, the cigar-chomping communist who once claimed he could outsmoke the entire population of Havana, has seized power in Cuba. The former part-time barista and full-time socialist rebel overthrew the government with an army of merry men, uh, I mean rebels. The now infamous bearded one wasted no time implementing his plan to turn the Caribbean island into a holiday destination for middle-class Brits on all-inclusive packages. He nationalized everything in sight, from sugarcane factories to donkey sanctuaries, turning them into workers' cooperatives where everyone got paid in rum and free salsa lessons. But it wasn't all mojitos and mambo. Dissenters were sent to work camps or forced to listen to endless speeches about how great Che Guevara was. Castro remained El Jefe until his death aged 137 when he handed power over to his son, Raul Little Fidel Castro Jr., who continued his father's legacy by ruining holidays for generations of sunburnt tourists with bad service and subpar lobster thermidor. 1985. In the year of our Lord 1985, a new contender entered the increasingly crowded arena of bunches of nutters with manifestos. Hezbollah, which translates as Party of God, or He's a La Ha Ha in Italian, released their manifesto today. The Shia group believe that Ali Baba was anointed successor to Muhammad Ali by none other than Ayatollah Khomeini himself. This is in stark contrast to Sunni Muslims who prefer lemonade and strawberry ice cream. Formed in the 80s with support from Iranian revolutionaries and indie band The Cure, Hezbollah vowed to spread the gospel, according to Saint Khomeini, across the Middle East like it was going out of fashion, which it wasn't at the time. But give them credit for forward thinking, eh? Their objectives include free mixtapes for all good jihadists and an end to Metallica concerts on Fridays. 1859. Well, on this day in 1859, the French government decided to meddle with music itself. That's right, they standardized concert pitch by setting note A4 to a frequency of 435 hertz. Why? Because everything else wasn't annoying enough already. This means that now every orchestra sounds like a cat being strangled at the same decibel level as before. The ISO stepped in and said, non, defining international standard pitch as A40, which is still painful, but slightly less so. One eyewitness, Mozart decomposer said, I mean, what do these frog munchers know about music? I was halfway through writing my 27th symphony in C-sharp minor, and now it sounds like I've been drinking from the LSD cup again. And Beethoven added, Well, what can I say? It is all downhill from here. Or maybe uphill if you are playing scales. The move has caused outrage among musicians worldwide who claim it takes away their individuality. Although we all know they just can't play in tune anyway. 
So next time you hear an off-key cacophony at your local Philharmonic, blame Le Francais and their interfering ways. News bang, slicing through the fog of lies with a machete of facts. Presenting the meteorological mosaic of the United Kingdom, here's Shakanaka Giles with your forecast for tomorrow. Tomorrow in the southeast, expect a chilly morning, like waking up next to a frosty ghost. But don't worry, the sun will peak through by noon, warming things up to a toasty 7 degrees. Over in the Midlands, it's going to be a bit of a moody day. Clouds will roll in like a grumpy teenager, but they'll clear up just in time for the annual flash mob in Birmingham. Up north, it's going to be a right proper winter wonderland. Snow will fall like confetti at a wedding, so make sure to bundle up and build a snowman or two. In Scotland, brace yourselves for a blustery day. Winds will howl like a pack of wolves, so hold on to your hats and your loved ones. And finally, in Wales, it's going to be a wet and wild day. Rain will pour down like a waterfall, so make sure to bring your umbrellas and your wellies. In summary, a bit of a mixed bag, but hey, that's weather for you, and that's all the weather. Thirteen. Nineteen forty-three. In the annals of World War II, a pivotal moment unfolds as Allied forces endeavour to thwart German nuclear weapon development. The stage, Norway. The weapon, heavy water. A form of water with unique properties. Heavy water becomes the unlikely protagonist in this chapter of global conflict. The mission, sabotage. And now, we turn to our correspondent Brian Bastable for an in-depth look at this extraordinary tale of espionage and intrigue. Tonight I bring you from the Norwegian battlefields the fierce cacoph cacophony of war. My report is direct, no sugar coating, just a pure uncut line of the best in combat journalism. As I emerge from my bunker here at Vimork Power Station, my ears are greeted by an orchestra of bullets, the kind of sounds that get the hairs on your toes standing to attention and your kidneys vibrating like amplifiers at Woodstock 69. The smell of blood fills the air as men armed with guns and words struggle for supremacy in this frigid wasteland. Heavy water is their prize, an essential ingredient for German nuclear weapons development, its peculiar properties turning it into gold, while for others it remains merely another molecule in H2O's family tree. But tonight we bear witness to a battle royale where only one side can emerge victorious those intent on obliterating millions or those who wish to protect humanity's future from impending doom. In front of me lies a battleground scarred by grenades and mortar shells, but amongst this carnage rises a sense of camaraderie among these soldiers fighting side by side against tyranny incarnate. And therein lies our story, resilience in the face of overwhelming odds and unity amid chaos, 
principles which transcend time itself as we commemorate this historic day 57 years ago today, on February 16, 1943, when ordinary men did extraordinary things so that generations unborn might inherit peace instead of ash and sorrow. Brian Bastable reporting live for Newsbang. 13 the decides to 2013. In a horrific incident that has shaken the world, a bomb concealed in a water tank detonated at a marketplace in Hazara town, Pakistan, resulting in the tragic loss of at least 91 lives and leaving nearly 200 individuals nursing injuries. The Hazara Twelver Shia ethnic community bore the brunt of this heinous assault. The Lashkar-e-Jangvi group has claimed responsibility for this abominable act of terror. This calamity unfolded in Hazara town, a lower-to-middle-income area primarily inhabited by ethnic Hazara residents. Now I hand you over to our correspondent Ken Shit for further insights on this developing story. Good evening, you sick fucks. As we hurtle towards a dystopian future where bombs and bloodshed are the norm, let's take a moment to remember the atrocity that unfolded on this very day in 2013. In the godforsaken hellhole of Hazara town, Pakistan, a bomb hidden in a water tank exploded at a market, killing at least 91 innocent souls and injuring 190 others. It was a scene straight out of a nightmare, a living, breathing testament to the depravity of humanity. The predominantly Shia Twelver ethnic Hazara community was targeted because, you know, killing people who are different from you is just so damn entertaining. And who could forget the despicable Lashkar-e-Jangvi group who claimed responsibility for this heinous act? They're like the nightmare version of a Boy Scout troop, only instead of selling cookies, they're selling death and destruction. Hazara town is a lower to middle income area filled with mostly ethnic Hazara residents. It's a place where people just want to live their lives, but instead they're met with violence and terror. It's a fucking disgrace and it's time we did something about it. This is Ken Shit, reminding you that we need to stand up against this madness and fight for a world where bombs and bloodshed are a thing of the past, because if we don't, who will? 1985. In a move that's rattled the Middle East, Hezbollah, the Lebanese Shia political and paramilitary organization, has unveiled its manifesto. The document outlines their ideology and goals, which follow the Shia branch of Islam. This belief holds that Ali ibn Abi Talib was designated as Muhammad's successor, a stark contrast to Sunni Islam. Hezbollah, formed in the 80s with backing from pro-Iran Khomeinists, seeks to propagate the Iranian revolution's ideals. For more on this unfolding story, we turn to our correspondent Hardiman Pesto. I'm here in Beirut, Lebanon, where Hezbollah has just released its manifesto. I spoke with Sheikh Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah, about the group's goals. Well, don't keep us in suspense, Pesto. What did the good Sheikh have to say? Well, Martin, he said that Hezbollah aims to establish an Islamic government in Lebanon based on the beliefs of the Shia branch of Islam. An Islamic government, you say? So they want to turn Lebanon into another Iran then? That's right, Martin. The Sheikh told me they take inspiration from the Iranian revolution and aim to spread that ideology here in Lebanon. Did he happen to mention how exactly they plan on doing that? Peaceful, democratic means? Well, no. He said they will resist Western influences in the region through armed struggle if necessary. Armed struggle, you say? So what, they're just going to start blowing stuff up then? 
Oh, no, no. The Sheikh assured me their manifesto calls for protecting the oppressed and resisting injustice in the region. Though he did mention the possibility of martyrdom operations. Martyrdom operations? You mean suicide bombings? Is that what he's threatening? Well, I wouldn't call it threatening exactly. Oh, good grief, pesto. This Hezbollah group wants to turn Lebanon into a fundamentalist Islamic state and they're ready to blow people up to do it. Please tell me you at least asked how we can avoid getting blown to smithereens over here? Well, I, I did ask about that, yes. The Sheikh said death to America, basically. Wonderful. Thank you, Pesto. It seems we may all have an exciting future as bits of debris if Hezbollah gets its way. Indeed, exciting times here in Lebanon. Back to you, Martin. News bang. A wake-up call for the sleepwalkers of ignorance. Penelope Windchime, our resident eco-enthusiast and siren of sustainability, ushers us into tales from history that shape the very winds we breathe. Ah, my eco-enthusiasts, I am Penelope Windchime, your siren of sustainability, here to serenade you with tales from our past that have shaped the very winds we breathe. In the year 2005, a monumental moment in the annals of atmospheric affection unfurled its green leaves, the Kyoto Protocol. This grand parchment of promise, birthed in the land of the rising sun, Kyoto, Japan, became the globe's solemn vow to trim down the corpulent carbon emissions that had been feasting on our planet's health like ravenous locusts at a leaf buffet. Fast forward to today's date in 1900, when Karsten Bochgrevink, a Norse knight of nature's court, steered his valiant vessel towards the icy embrace of Antarctica. With dogs and sledges as his trusty squires, he jousted with frosty frontiers and claimed a new farthest south for queen and country. The great ice barrier bowed before him as he planted his flag at 78 degrees 50 ease, Oh, how the penguins must have squawked in awe at this bearded pioneer whose footsteps crunched upon their snowy kingdom like a symphony of icicles. And so, my dear tree-huggers and brook-whisperers, let us remember these milestones as we march forward in our quest to swaddle Mother Earth in a quilt stitched from our love and care. For every whispering wind carries the echoes of history's green giants, I'm Penelope Windchime. May your deeds grow forests. Polly Beep recounts the bizarre events of February 161996, including a train collision in Silver Spring, Maryland, and cows on the M25. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up as we catapult ourselves back to the wild days of 1996. It's a Friday, the 16th of February, and we've got a doozy of a situation on our hands. The train collision in Silver Spring, Maryland has left a real dent in the day's travel plans. A marked commuter train and Amtrak's Capital Limited passenger train decided to play a deadly game of chicken, resulting in 11 souls departing this world a little earlier than planned. The passenger cars, designed to carry folks in comfort, turned into unscheduled roller coasters. Three crew members and eight passengers met their untimely end, while others were left to nurse their injuries. The total damage, a whopping $0.70 million and seven cents, 
Yes, you heard that right. Seven cents. Some poor accountant is probably still scratching their head over that one. As a result, the Feds have stepped in to make some new rules for passenger car design. So if you're planning a trip back to 96, you might want to hold off on booking those train tickets. Meanwhile, in the skies, a flock of seagulls has decided to hold an impromptu convention over the M4, causing delays for motorists. And if you're on the A1, watch out for that mysterious stretch of road that's taken a fancy to relocating itself. Today, it's decided to pay a visit to the English Channel. Finally, a herd of cows has taken up residence on the M25, leading to a bovine traffic jam. So, if you're in a hurry, you might want to consider taking the scenic route. This is Polly Beep, signing off from the past. Drive safe and remember, the road is a wild and wacky place. 1859. Calamity Prenderville joins us now to explore a historical moment of sonic significance. A day when the French took centre stage and hit the right note, quite literally. <laughs> Welcome back to Newsbang, where we're delving into the annals of history. Today, we're looking at a momentous occasion that occurred on this very day in 1859. Yes, you heard it right. The French government decided to get down and funky with some music. They decreed that the musical note A4 would henceforth be set to a frequency of 435 hertz. Quite the rock and roll move, wouldn't you say? What on earth is a hertz? Well, fear not, it's really quite simple. A hertz is simply a unit of frequency in the International System of Units, SI. It measures how often something happens in one second. So, when the French government said A4 should be 435 hertz, they meant that A4 should happen 435 times in one second. Pretty stirring stuff. But why did they do this? Was it just a case of the French getting their groove on? Well, not quite. Standardizing concert pitch helps ensure that musicians from different ensembles and locations can play together more harmoniously. Imagine trying to jam with someone who's playing at a completely different speed. It would be like trying to dance the cha-cha while they're doing the twist. Of course, being British innovation enthusiasts, we can't let the French have all the glory. We have our own standard pitch too, A440. That's right! We like our A4s to happen 440 times in one second. So, while the French may have been first to set this particular pitch back in 1859, we've since taken it to new heights. So there you have it, a momentous day in history, where the French decided to get musical with their concert pitch. Who knows, maybe one day we'll have our own musical revolution here in Blighty. Until then, keep those hurts, or should I say British hurts, flowing. <laughs> News Bang, the daily dose of dose of reality. 1961. In a monumental stride towards cultural inclusivity, the DuSable Museum was founded in 1961, dedicated to African-American history, culture and art. This Chicago-based institution sought to redress the glaring omission of black culture in mainstream museums. A testament to its significance, the DuSable Museum boasts an affiliation with the esteemed Smithsonian Institution. To shed more light on this groundbreaking establishment, 
we turn to our correspondent, Smithsonian Moss. Now at this point of the evening, we welcome listeners on FM who've just joined us. Whoa, culture vultures. It's your high priestess of pop, Smithsonian Moss, sliding into your evening with a blast from the past that's going to knock your socks off. Buckle up, buttercups, because we're time-traveling back to 1961 when the DuSable Museum of African American History threw open its doors and said, Hello, Chicago. Let's get historical. Picture it. The 60s. A time when the only black history most museums acknowledged was the color of their marble floors. But then, like a phoenix rising from the ashes of ignorance, the DuSable Museum bursts onto the scene, all sassy and brassy, saying, We got your culture right here, baby. Founded by the one and only Dr. Margaret Burroughs and her squad of cultural crusaders, the DuSable was like a superhero hideout for black excellence. It was the place where African-American art wasn't just a side dish, it was the whole damn buffet. And let me tell you, this museum had more affiliations than a rapper has bling. They teamed up with the Smithsonian Institution, which is basically like saying, yeah, we're with the band. That's right. They went from indie to major label without selling out their soul. Now, the DuSable Museum is not just a museum. It's a vibe, a movement, a revolution wrapped in a building. It's where you go to get schooled on the cool, from jazz legends blowing their horns to poets dropping bars that could melt the coldest of hearts. So, if you're ever in the Windy City and you want to get woke, take a stroll through the DuSable. It's like a time machine, but instead of going back to the future, you're going back to a past that's been jazzed up, blinged out, and served with a side of righteous indignation. And that's the word from your culture queen, Smithsonian Moss. Remember, history is just an old story with a new twist, and at the Du Sable, they're twisting and shouting all night long. News bang, a glimmer of hope in the sea of lies. And just time to glance at tomorrow's headlines. The Times, Operation Hailstone, U.S. Navy Hammers, Chuck Lagoon. There's a picture there of a very wet hammer. The Independent, IRA bomb shatters Belfast Eatery. They've gone for a 12-page pullout on cutlery. The Guardian, Bahrain crackdown, four dead at dawn. There's a photo there of a very cross man. And the Telegraph, Libyan day of rage. Gaddafi faces fury. They've included a free wall chart of angry faces. That's it. On the day that the man who stole a lorry load of prunes got a long sentence. Good night. Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night.